So we're going to continue right on in, in, in Nehemiah. We left off last week in Nehemiah chapter 8. And we've been 17 weeks in eight chapters. Like, I think 10 of those weeks were in chapter 1. I don't know. But it, just, it felt like that. But, but we're 17 weeks in, in eight chapters, and there's so much revelation. Isn't there anybody else? So much revelation in the book of Nehemiah, I'm almost sorrowful to move on. Because just every time I read a sentence in there, I'm like, oh my, oh my. And I've, stuff I've never seen before. Last week we talked about Nehemiah chapter 8. And right after Nehemiah and all the 50,000 people that are gathered with him, they complete the wall and they build the wall. They, they open up, you know, they open up the book of the law. Ezra begins, the scribe begins to, to read from, from the first five books of the Bible, reads the, the Mosaic law. And, and as he's reading it, the people, all 50,000 of them, all gathered, standing, you know, when, you know, standing up when he's reading it. But they start hearing the words, and they start hearing the law, and they start dropping, and they start falling and repenting. And there's all of a sudden you can hear weeping and, and you know, I don't know, moaning and sorrow, deep sorrow and regret and remorse. And when, because they were hearing words that they had neglected and they started hearing, yes, they heard the promises of God that they maybe had missed out on. And so there's remorse of that. But they also heard the warnings of God that if they didn't obey these laws, they would end up in captivity, which they all, every, all 50,000 people reading this had experienced in their lifetime. They seen this. They were born into, many of them born into captivity. And they began to hear about how they missed it and why they missed it. And so their great regret, great remorse, great sorrow, which would be natural response for all of us that we view, all of us view repentance as head down, tears, pain, sorrow. That's what repentance means. Like when we say repent, when we tell somebody, hey, you need to repent, we mean you need to cry to where we're satisfied that you're feeling the pain you inflicted on us. Come on, we're humans, right? And we feel that when we feel that we've inflicted, when we feel that sorrow and that remorse, or that regret of something we've done wrong or somehow we've hurt somebody, we feel like we have to do penance, that we deserve punishment. We deserve the pain that we're feeling. And so we end up crying and remorse and all the rest of it. And in the midst of their sorrow, Nehemiah stands up and says, stop, stop crying. In other words, it sounds like Nehemiah is saying, stop repenting which is kind of sacrilegious. But Nehemiah wasn't saying stop repenting because repent doesn't mean sorrow or regret. Repent means turn. And Nehemiah says turn from the regret of the past and turn towards your future because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you don't need strength for your past. You need strength for your future. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He says it's time to party, which they're reading the law. They're seeing how far they've missed it. Party and repentance. Anybody else that doesn't like party and repentance in the same that, that doesn't go together. In our mind, in the religious mind, but in God's mind, it's different. And this is what we're, this is what I think when I say a new era, I'm talking like we need to see, and this is the whole purpose of the series, is we need to see what it really means, what God means when he says Christian. What, what God means when he says the church. Not what we have perceived it to be or what we think it to be or what we've created it to be. We need to see as God sees. 
That's what we're praying for. That's what we're wanting to, to, to get on track with and taking our job back and saying, hey, we, the church, especially in the first, second, third centuries, they were doing their jobs. They were doing the church. They were living out the church. They weren't perfect, but they were living out the church the way Jesus designed it. And over time, we have human nature. We have shaped it into our own image. And I want to kind of break that image a little bit smash some golden cows, if that's okay, and get back to the, in the image of God. Is that all right? That's what we're trying to get to, because I, I think God is coming back for a pure, spotless bride, a, a glorious church, and I, I, we got a ways to go. Let's continue on, Nehemiah 8, verse 13. It says, Then on the second day, the heads of the fathers' households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. As I read chapter 8, something stood out to me. It's interesting to me that Nehemiah and Ezra read the Bible for all the people, read the law, after they built the wall. And it stands out to me because to me, that's backwards. That's backwards to what I would have done. I would have thought, hey, before we, we can reconstruct, before we can rebuild the city, we need to get right. We need to repent. We need to, we need to start live. We need to be right before we can build right. Isn't that how we think? You and I, we think, we think, you know, we think that we have to, we have to get right before we can change. They, they looked for insight after they built the city. See, we, we, let me poke at us a little bit. Our tendency is to want to get things right first before we move forward. we got to be right before we can move forward. So we, we stand on scriptures like, if we humble ourselves and pray, God will heal our land. And, and we take that to mean that if we lock ourselves into a, a little you know, room and repent and, and get right and, and re, you know confess all of our sins and all the rest of it, then that's the only way that God's going to heal Canada. That's the only way that God's going to heal Alberta. That's the only way God's going to heal our city. That's the only way that God's going to heal is if we get right, then God will. What I find interesting in the book of Nehemiah is that they went to work, rebuilt the city, and then they went to getting right. That seems backwards to me. It's curious. I just want to leave that hanging there because we're going to address that as a little bit as we go on. Verse 14 says, they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Odd, but that was part of the law. So they proclaimed and, and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem saying, go out into the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God in the square of the water gate and the square of the gate of Ephraim. And the entire assembly, all 50,000 of them, of those who had returned from this captivity made booths and lived in them for a period of seven days on the seventh month. Because they're reading this in the seventh month. And then it says this, The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun. I mean, poor Moses, he writes the law, and it lasts one generation, and then they stop. And now they're reading it 
hundreds and hundreds of years later, and they're like, oh man, we haven't, we haven't done this. And they, and they, because they're reading it, they actively are, are doing what they're reading immediately, which uh, I think the reason why Nehemiah lists this is not because of the festival of booths and that it, we're supposed to do that and all the rest of it. I think the reason why Nehemiah listed this is because they were reading the word and they actively began doing it word for word immediately. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible and saw something you didn't see before and you're like, ooh, I'm not really doing that. <laughs> oh, well, and then you go on to your thing. No, no, <laughs> when God gets a hold of you sometimes, like these guys, this is a revival time. They took word for word, literally, what they were reading, and they went to work, in the, including, I guess if Moses said we're supposed to build leafy huts and live in them for seven days, we should do that. This is how serious they were. Verse 18, he read from the book of the law of God daily from the first day of the last day, and they celebrated the, the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. And then, so the law said, after you do this feast, there's supposed to be a solemn assembly. So now Nehemiah and Ezra are going, okay, now you can be solemn. So then chapter 9, now on the 24th day of, of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them. Just couldn't resist it. Got to go to the sackcloth and dirt. Which, I mean, this is the repentance part. This is... This is they're feeling that they're needing to do this. They were wrong, and they're needing to correct. But it also shows us how difficult a battle it is to forget your past. Anybody, I mean, if you heard last week's message, you walked out of here and going, that's right, and you, know, you probably said that. How many of you battled this week with your past? It's, it's a battle. It's a battle. Got, got, we got to... Keep focus and keep doing it. The natural tendency is to always want to look back with regret. God wants us looking forward. So the descendants of Israel separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And while they stood in their place, verse 3 of chapter 9, while they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they stood, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. What I find fascinating about this is that they stood and worshiped and confessed and repented after they built the wall, after they restored the city. And to me, in my natural progression of things, that seems backwards to where I'm thinking, no, 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 we got to be right before we can do right. We got we to gotta, we gotta get right before we can change a city. We got to get everything, just, we got to believe just right. We got to get just right. We got to get confessed all right. And isn't it your thought and my thought that I've got to get all repented, all my sins confessed before God can use me? I mean, how many of you have ever thought God could never use me? God can never use me. I'm, my past is too messed up. I'm currently too messed up. God can never use me. How many have ever thought that? Come on, just be honest. The rest of you are lying. Come on. Own it. Come on. All of you thought at some point, I'm not good enough to go to church. I'm not good enough to volunteer. I'm not good enough to be used by God. I can't pray for nobody. I can't do no nothing for nobody because you think and I think I've got to get right before I can do right. Isn't that right? 
And you're thinking, some of you have thought, I'm not even good enough to go to church. That's why you held off for so long. And some of you are thinking right now, I'm not good enough to be here. You're waiting for lightning to strike. Come on, you're not strange. All of us have thought it. Because our human nature, our human nature is we got to get right before we can do right. But what's amazing to me is that Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, they did right, and then they, start, they got right. They did right first. They rebuilt the city first. They got to work doing it. In other words, they didn't wait to be all repented up and all perfect and all, all holy before they could take on the city. Because modern Christianity, come on. Majors in having the right theology, the right doctrine, the right belief system. First, I mean, come on. Isn't that the first thing you look for in the church? Isn't that the first thing you look for? You look for the church that preaches right, the church that has the right doctrine, the church that I can agree with. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just wondering if instead, what if we reverse What if we looked for a church that did right? that was doing the right things. Never thought of that. What, what, if, what if instead of focusing and worrying about us being right, because come on, it's not just Christianity. It's society as a whole. We, we're so focused on believing right and being right that anybody that isn't as right as us, we just cancel. Isn't that right? I mean... They vote differently than us? Canceled. Right? They have different theologies and doctrines than me? Canceled. They don't believe like I believe? Canceled. They disagree with my point of view, social media? Canceled. That's right, Pastor. You tell them about cancel culture. No, no, come on. Cancel culture? Cancel culture is you unfriending somebody who disagrees with you. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Come on. Because, hey, all of our society is about believing right and being right. And we've made that our major. Now, I, I looked at this and I thought, isn't it curious to me that Nehemiah built the wall first and didn't repent first? Didn't, like, he should have, in my thinking, good leader should have brought Ezra in, gathered the 50,000 people, and looked at the ruins of Jerusalem and said, we deserve all this. It's a mess because we sinned. And so we're going to read all about our sins, and we're going to repent and get it right, and then we can rebuild. Once we're right, then we can re rebuild. Nehemiah didn't do that. He just went to work, built, then they opened the law. I'm thinking, is that just a one-time thing in the Bible, or is this something, is, does this line up? Is there something in here? Because this messes with my theology, with my thinking, with the way that I do things, which I, I believe I got to be right and all confessed up and, and do, in order for God to use me and all, all this. Is, is this. Is this right? And, and I, start, I started looking throughout the scriptures. Is there any other places in the Bible? Did Jesus ever address this issue? He sure did. In fact, in Matthew 23, Jesus talks to the, the pastors the church leaders of the day, they were known as Pharisees. When we look at the Pharisees, they get, they get a bad rap, you know, because we look at them and Jesus looked at them as bad and evil. And so we're looking at the Pharisees. They were bad. They were bad. They're evil. The Pharisees were God-fearing, 
church leaders doing their best to try to fulfill the law. Right? That's who they were. These aren't, these aren't unbelievers. These are God-fearing, preaching. They're the ones preaching the Mosaic law, teaching the Mosaic law. These, are, these, aren't, these aren't some, you know, criminal thing. Like, there is corruption in there. There's corruption everywhere. These are the pastors of the day. And how does Jesus address them? He says to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Isn't that what the world thinks of the church today? Hypocrites. Anybody ever? You're, you're a Christian. You're a hypocrite. Jesus started that trend, by the way. <laughs> Hashtag hypocrite. Jesus started that. Right here. Like he says, what are you scribes and Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. I'd be okay tithing that. I'm not, I'm not a fan of any of those three. <laughs> Good. Um, much to my wife's chagrin. But anyway, that's all good. But you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. In other words, Jesus says to the pastors, hey, you're doing this part right, but there's a weightier provision of the law. In other words, there are some parts of the, the law, Moses' law, God's thing. There's some parts that carry more weight than others. It's not all the same weight. There's something that is weightier. So then he describes, I'm like, I'm like, okay, Jesus, what do you think is weightier? He says, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Then he says, but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. In other words, you're, you're gonna do it all. You should do it all. You're not supposed to, I'm not saying you're gonna jump from one ditch to another. You should tithe. You should tithe those, those things and, and obey those parts of the law, but you have neglected the weightier parts. Then he says, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Jesus had a bad day. I'd, or he was dressing a, a tendency that is still in us today. Come on. It's still in us today. The weightier parts. There's something more important. And listen, the weightier parts of the law, something jumped out at me this time. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. What jumped out at me is that Jesus rebuked the, the Pharisees on, on focusing for focusing on being right before doing right to others. That the three things that Jesus lists here are all behaviors that include others. Justice for others. Mercy for others. Faithfulness to others. That when Jesus is saying this, Jesus, in other words, what Jesus is saying, what we've been saying in this entire series, is that Christianity or believing God right or God's way of doing things, the kingdom way, isn't just a personal faith, you and you being right before God. It's not just, you can't reduce Christianity to just a personal faith and a weekly gathering. Right? It's not just a personal faith. That you can, and then the Pharisees had reduced their faith to just a personal faith. They'd walk around and repent and saying, I thank God I'm not a sinner like them. And Jesus is like, hey, you're tithing right. You're doing all the right things for your personal relationship with God, but you've neglected the whole other part of the law that has to do with others. <laughs> hey, the Ten Commandments, four of them are your relationship with God, six of them are your relationship with Others, we can't reduce Christianity to just a personal being right before God. Come on, let me, let me dig a little bit deeper. 
Christianity is not praying a prayer so that you personally can repent. It's not just personally praying and doing devotions and reading your Bible and attending church so that you can be looked upon by God, so that you can one day go to escape this big, bad, horrible word with, with all the, the terrible uh, others, and you can escape all this and go to heaven one day because you and God, me and Jesus is all I need. That is not the faith. According to Jesus, you're neglecting the weightier parts of the law, which the weightier parts of the law has to do with others. In fact, I thought, okay, well, did the early church follow this? Look, look at this. I'm just going to read a list real quick of in the New Testament of all the others in, in the Bible, like the, the New Testament, all the followers of Jesus, they said, love one another a few times. You, you can see that. They said, be devoted to one another, honor one another. This is, this is not Honor God, it says that, but it's honor one another. Be devoted to one another. Love one another. Live in harmony with one another. It goes on. It says, stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay. I, I will greet one another. I don't know about the kiss part. That's their culture thing. Okay, agree with one another. Oh, that's an, that's an instruction? Agree with one another? Ouch. Wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Serve one another. There's more. Look at this. Do not provoke or envy one another. Carry each other's burdens. Bear with one another. Be compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Okay. I love you. <laughs> I'm not sure. Submit to one another. Do not lie to each other. That's not it. There's more. Build up one another. Spur on one another towards love and good deeds. Do not give up meeting with one another. Do not slander one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Close your, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Be kind to one another. Don't grumble against one another. Pray for one another. That's a lot of one another's. We started this series. In Isaiah 58, and I want you to just think something. Imagine, just imagine if we got this right, and if we focused on the weightier parts. Imagine if the world who's skeptical of what we believe would be envious of how we treat each other and them. Imagine, just imagine. Imagine a world where people who are skeptical of what we believe we're at the same time envious of how we treat one another. I mean, isn't that what Jesus said in John 17? God, make them one. This is the way, this is the way to your part, the harder part. One, make them one. Here we are 2,000 years later with 48,000 different denominations. Come on, we're all guilty of neglecting the way to your parts, Right? This is what I'm saying. This is a new move. This is a new time. This is new focus. This is, where, this is where I feel like Nehemiah is saying, we're called to rebuild cities, restore homes. We're supposed to do all that. But that includes <laughs> agreeing with one another, loving one another, serving one another. It includes the one another's. Remember Isaiah 58. We started this series. It says that Isaiah 58 is, is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah and warning 
uh, the, the children of Israel. And it starts, Isaiah 58 starts with, hey, I, you know, hey, prophet, tell the people of their sins, which is not always going to be a good day. Right? The prophet's going, God told me to come tell you about your sins. It's not always going to be a favorable day for the prophet, especially. Right? He says, but hey, go tell them about their sins. And then we're expecting, I'm expecting, that he's going to list all of the terrible things that they have done. All of the you know, lying, the cheating, the lusting, the adultery, the, the corruption, all of the, the abuse of one another. That's where I'm expecting this is going to list all the sins. And then the prophet goes on and starts listing their sins. And the sins are, they go to the temple every day. Huh? They go to church every day? They pray. They fast. They pretend to worship me. Is he's listing all these sins. And it hits me because it doesn't talk about lying, cheating, stealing. It doesn't talk about anything. It talks about they go to the temple every day. They fast. They're doing everything to try to impress me is what it says in Isaiah 58. Read it again. You do everything to try to impress me. And he says, that's not what I want. Then he says in verse 6, this is what I want. This is the kind of fasting I want. This is God speaking. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the, the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. That's the justice part. This is the same thing Jesus said. Look, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Then he says, share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. This is the fasting God wants. This doesn't sound like fasting at all. This is the fasting God wants. Get, feed the hungry. Give clothes to the naked. You give shelter to the homeless. And then this is the part that I'd like to leave out. And do not hide from the relatives who need your help. Now you're getting personal. <laughs> like, what? But listen, listen, listen. God cares more about what we do for others than how, we try, how much we try to impress him. Then he goes on, and he says this, then your salvation will come to you. Wait, wait, wait. I thought salvation came to me when I prayed a prayer, when I went to church, when I became a good little Christian and prayed every day and read my Bible. Jesus is saying, I'm not saying neglect any of those things. I'm saying there's weightier parts, and your salvation is now, your salvation will come to you when you do what? Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Give shelter to the homeless. And your wounds will quickly heal. Isn't that interesting? Healing will come to those. Healing. Have you ever wondered why, how come God heals some and doesn't heal others? Healing will come to those. And Paul said it in, in, later on. He says the reason why you have sickness among you is because you're treating each other like garbage. And, the, and Isaiah says your healing will come when? When you feed the hungry, clothe the naked, give shelter to them, and help your relatives. <laughs> then your healing will come. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Not just glory of the Lord will lead you, but the glory of the Lord will come from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer and say, yes, I am. He will reply, look at this, quickly. 
I mean, I, I want to hear from God regularly, don't you? Like, not just sometimes, and how come God takes so long to answer? He's saying, the reason why I'm taking so long to answer is because, not because you're not right with me, but because you're not right with others. And he goes on, verse 9. He says this, remove the heavy yoke of repression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors of those who don't agree with you or don't believe just like you. Feed the hungry. He's repeating himself whenever the Bible repeats himself. This is, he's getting serious. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Isaiah doubles down on our responsibility as God's children. Then he says, then you're, if you do these things, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, give shelter, you know, you know, bring justice, then your light will come. Light illuminates the path in front of you. Doing right, listen to me, doing right will illuminate believing right. We didn't get that. Doing right will illuminate believing right. The, the reason why we Christians are so weird Come on, don't look at me like you think we're normal. <laughs> the reason why we Christians are so weird is because we've been too focused on believing right and we, we haven't focused on the weightier things of doing right. And I believe, look at Nehemiah did right and it illuminated the believing. Verse 11 says, the Lord will guide you continually. Man. Look at these promises. The Lord will guide you continually. When you believe just right, when you repent just right, when you pray just right, none of that's in there. All that's in there is, what have you done for the others? Giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. Why do you need your strength restored? Because doing for others is exhausting. And the promise, <laughs> the promise is that You'll find strength. Some of us are looking for restoration. Why am I so tired? Because we've been, we're exhausted living for ourselves. And living for others will actually restore strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, and this, is, this has been our theme for this whole series. Then you'll be known as rebuilders of walls and restorers of homes. Then you'll be known. We want to be a church that's known as rebuilders of cities and restorers of homes. So watch. God says, God says, hey, you, you know, hold their sins before them. They go to the temple every day. Is he saying it's wrong to go to the temple? No. In fact, listen, the word sin, you've heard me say this. The word sin it just is an archery term, which means missing the mark. But listen, the, the definition, the pure definition of sin, and I never saw this before, and all of a sudden I saw now, it means to miss the bullseye but still be on the target. I never saw that before. Sin means to miss the bullseye but to still be on the target. In other words, we assume that sin, and we, we've got great grades for sin, we assume that sin is missing the target altogether. Well, they're sinners. They miss the target altogether. When, when God says to Isaiah, hold the sins before him, he's talking to people who are in the church. They go to the temple every day. They do all the rest of it. They, they're on target. They've just missed the mark. And he's trying to get them back to the bullseye. And what this whole series is about is, is saying, we got to get back to the bullseye. we got to get back to the weightier things. we got to get back to taking our job back. It's not that we're not believers and that we're way, we've way missed the target. It's that we're not hitting the bullseye. we got to hit the bullseye. 
And so when Jesus says, when God says, hey, there's sins before him, they go to the temple. He's not saying it's wrong to go to the temple. Just like Jesus said, hey, tithing's not wrong. He didn't say tithing was wrong. He says, keep doing that. But there's weightier things. Weightier things. And just, just so that we're clear, Isaiah 58, verse 13, just after he says their sin is they go to the temple every day, then he says in verse 13, keep the Sabbath day holy. In other words, they sin because they're going to the temple every day. He's like, it's not wrong. It's just that you got to get the first things first. The weightier things are, okay, let me, let me put this to today's world so that we're, we're crystal clear. It's not wrong to go to church. It's just wrong to go to church and make it all about you and thinking it's about you and your relationship with God. The reason why we gather as a church is so that we can get strengthened to make a difference in the city. If a church doesn't change a city, it's not a kingdom church. A church, if a Christian doesn't change their workplace and their, their, their neighborhood, come on, we, your faith, I don't care how long you pray a day, how much you read a day, how many devotions you do, how much you worship on your own. It's not just about you. I'm not saying stop doing that stuff. I'm saying there's weightier things. And Jesus said, keep the Sabbath. Don't pursue your own interests on that day. But enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything that you do and don't follow your own desires or talk idly or waste time. Come on, it's about strengthening yourself, getting reconnected with God so that we can go and change the world. John said this of Jesus. I'll close with this. John said this of Jesus in, in John 1. He says, Jesus, he remarked, he's like, Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Grace and truth are the power twins. Grace is how we treat others. Truth is about believing right. Jesus was full of both. But also notice that Jesus operated in grace first and then truth. What do I mean by that? When Jesus met the adulterous woman, he offered her grace first and then truth. When Jesus met Matthew, he offered him grace first and then truth. When Jesus had the prostitute come to him, he offered her grace first and then truth. Jesus did that with everybody, and so did his disciples, and so should we. Here's today's takeaway. Doing right is more important than being right. Doing right is more important than being right. This is, this is the conclusion of our, our series. And, and what I want you to know in this series is that Christianity is not just a personal belief system. You can't reduce Christianity to just a personal belief system. And it's not just a weekly social gathering. We have a job to do. And our job is to take care of one another and the least of these that the weightier things of the law are the one another's and the least of these. That's why Jesus challenged his disciples to do. That's what his disciples did. That's what they continued to preach. That's what you'll find in, the, in, in book after book in the New Testament. 
It's all about how they treat one another. And if we take care of, come on, church. I'm talking us parallel church. And let, let me talk to Lethbridge just for a second. I read an article recently that said Lethbridge is the number one crime-ridden city in Canada. We have a job to do. And I, I'm challenging us. We have to take our job back and shine a light in the dark places. And we, we have to make, I'll, let it be known that we're, we're not just a church that's believing right and that people can gather to. We're going to be a church that's going to change a city. We're going to be known as a rebuilder of cities and restorer of homes. Amen. That's what we're going to give to. That's what we're going to sacrifice to. That's what we're going to behave like throughout the week. That's not just what we as pastors do, but that all of us as Christians and saying, hey, we're going to change. we got a job to do. Your neighborhood needs help. Your workplace needs help. God give us wisdom. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've said and what we've learned. God, we, we repent of neglecting the weightier things. And focusing on believing just right, being right. God, I pray that you'd help us to have eyes like you have eyes, to see as you see, to have ears that hear like you hear. God, give us wisdom to know what to do day in, day out for one another, for the least of these. And give us the courage to be able to do it and follow through. And Lord, let us be known as rebuilders of cities and restorers of homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again, you too can be saved. I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now and I encourage you to pray along with us. This isn't about joining a church or joining a religion. This is about a personal relationship with God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are Lord and I thank you that my past is past and that I can start a new life with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to connect with you. Let us know in the chat. There should be a link there in the comments that the host team will provide. Fill that out. We would love to connect with you and let you know what this relationship with God is all about.